We know the end of this story, right? But we're here to worship the Lord this morning. And if you looked in the bulletin, I titled this message, It Was Necessary. And I absolutely believe that. And I'd like you to encourage you this morning to open your Bibles to the scripture that we read just a moment ago, Luke chapter 24. And Luke chapter 24, I'd like you just to put a bookmark there. We'll be going to other places in the Word of God, but um, right at the beginning, I'd like us just to put a bookmark there so we can come back to that place often. I don't have to wait for you. I can just get going. So, But it was necessary. During the week, uh, my normal daily job is working with kids. I worked at a summer camp. I teach school. And so working with kids, I often hear the words, I need. And you probably with children have heard the words, I need. And uh, kids, kids have a different idea of what's necessary than we do. And I think they have a different uh, opinion on what is necessary than Jesus Christ did. Because I believe that the resurrection was necessary. If you were talking about a kid, uh, they might say, uh, I need a cell phone. Uh, I, I, how many of you survived as a child without a cell phone? Right? Okay. Kids these days, you'd think that if you took their cell phone away, you were t- taking away their dignity, their uh, lifeblood, their, I don't know, it's almost like a drug, it seems like it this these days. I might have been guilty of this one when I was a child, but I can picture many teenage boys saying, I need basketball shoes. And I can understand that because I probably said that to my dad. But when I I hear these kids, I mean, I don't know what my father would have said. I said, Dad, I want a $50 pair of basketball sneakers. And my dad went, and I hear these kids coming to school and they go, I just bought these $250 pair of sneakers. And my dad would have said, my dad said no to the $30 ones. So, yeah, but anyways, um, that I can, I can picture that. Uh, maybe I need, you can picture one when they go on vacation. I need a souvenir. I need that. I need that. How many times have you ever seen a kid in line? I need that, that candy bar. I need, I need, I need. I, I look down here. My, she's going to be saying it pretty soon, this little baby. I need, I need. And already, right? But. But so many strange things. This is, this is one. Uh, I, I literally had a kid say this one time. About second period in the day, there was a girl. She was eating a brownie at 9 o'clock in the morning. I thought to myself, she doesn't need to be eating a brownie in class right now. I said, you could go put your brownie in, in your locker or save that for later. Go put it in your lunch. She said, and, and I quote, I quote, I wrote this down. It was, I, I literally took out a card out of my desk and wrote this down. I need to eat this brownie so my liver doesn't fail. This was a ninth grader. And I called mom. I said, I've never heard of somebody saying that they need to eat a brownie so their liver doesn't. And, and she, 
Mom said, we told her that if she, if she was feeling a little famished, that during the day, at some point, she should eat a snack. Not necessarily a brownie and not necessarily during your class. And I said, this is what she said. And so we got to the bottom of this. But I think Jesus Christ had a different opinion of what we need. Because even though we are adults, and we might understand that we don't need a brownie at 9 o'clock in the morning, even though I think the seasoned saints group <laughs> might think that that's true, um, even though that might be the case, we know that we don't need a pair of, if we buy a $300 sneak, pair of sneakers, it's not going to make us jump higher. Um, we could live, we all survive without cell phones. Um, we might still say there are certain things that we need that probably we could live without. But as I read Luke chapter 24, and I grab some verses, I'd just like to start by reading the first section. We're going to go through and we're going to read a number of places here. But I found places, three different places. Three different events where we see that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was necessary. And I understand that when you leave here today, that I don't expect you to remember all the stuff that I put on the board. But if I could leave one thing with you, you're going to hear me say this again and again and again, is that as we think about the cross of Jesus Christ and the resurrection from the dead, it was necessary. We needed that. And it sealed the deal. It, the work was finished. And Jesus Christ was victorious. Let's read Luke chapter 24, the first section here. It says, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Um, we could read that every single Sunday, and the message wouldn't lose its power. 
I love the idea of these people coming to the empty tomb and the apostles hearing it and, and running and finding the truth that the grave was empty. So I have three problems and three reasons that it was necessary that Christ died on the cross and rose again. The pro first problem that I found on resurrection morning was that they did not find the body. They were perplexed. In verses 3 and 4 it says, again, again it says there, And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining apparel. And so, the first thing that problem that they had is that they came to the grave and they didn't find the body. So they had a problem. The body of Jesus was gone. But at the same time, it was necessary that the body was gone, that Christ had rose from the dead. And it was necessary because Jesus Christ told them that it was necessary. I, I don't know if you have ever read the Gospels or any one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. I, I, I would suggest, you know, start with John and go to Matthew and fill in Luke and Mark, but, but read the Gospels. If you read them, you're going to find Jesus Christ sounding like a broken record. I'm going to be betrayed. Wicked men are going to take me. They're going to kill me, beat me and kill me. I'm going to die. And three days later, I'm going to rise again from the dead. He promised it. He promised it. And he fulfilled it. I don't like it when I go to the store and they make me promises that if anything goes wrong, don't worry, we'll take care of it. And something goes wrong, and after hours and hours on the phone waiting, you find out that it's not what you expected it to be. Every once in a while, you'll get the fulfillment of a promise, and you're excited, but Jesus Christ made a promise, he made a promise, and all his promises have been fulfilled. And he's got more in store for us, and those will be fulfilled to the exact accuracy as the ones that he's already fulfilled and he's already finished. And I can't wait. As we look at this, at this in, in, we see a few places in the scripture where Jesus Christ promised that he would do that and that he fulfilled his promise. Let's look at a couple of those. Uh, I put here, the New Testament started legally on resurrection morning and practically on the day of Pentecost. I put that up there for, for a reason, because I believe that when we read the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, most of what we are reading should could probably be put in the Old Testament, under the time of the law. We Today, we say we live in the time of the church or the age of grace. I believe that when Jesus Christ rose from the grave, he legally finished the, and completed the law, and he made atonement for our sins. On, and on resurrection morning, that day was sealed, and the church age began on Pentecost. So when we read the words of Jesus, before he died on the cross, you're reading Old Testament prophecy. Okay, is that fair enough to say? Absolutely, if we know the scriptures. Uh, he was prophesying that he would die, how it would happen, and that he would rise again. So... Since I went to the book of Luke, I chose a few scriptures um, 
from Luke about Jesus dying on, saying that he would die on the cross and rise again. Let's open our Bibles to go back just a couple of pages to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9, in verse 22, Jesus says, it says, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Jesus Christ foretells his death and he makes it pretty clear. It's kind of interesting. You read the accounts of the men that were there. It said Jesus would say this stuff, and it just went right over their heads. So when he died, and they buried him in the ground, they scattered. And on that resurrection morning, what we were just reading in Luke 24, when it came into their minds, all of a sudden they're going, I, I get it. When they saw the empty tomb, the, the light began to come on, and they finally understood the prophecies that Jesus put here. Let's also look in chapter 18, verses 31 to 33. In chapter 18, verses 31 to 33, it says, Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. I am so thankful that Jesus knew exactly what he was doing, he fulfilled what he was, he promised it, and he came back and made good on his promise to the word. And when he says, after he rises from the dead, when he says, I, I rose from the dead, just like I said, I'm going to heaven to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'm going to come again, receive you to myself. That word is just as good today as it was all those years ago when Jesus said, three days later, I'll rise again. So Jesus said it. He fulfilled it, and we can count on it. I am so thankful <clears throat> for the words of Jesus. I'm just telling you, if you've never read the book of Matthew, I'd encourage you to go home and read it. Because it's like you can you can take it, and you can read, read it, and as you read it, you're going to read Jesus say, I'm going to Jerusalem, wicked men are going to kill me, and three days later I'm going to rise again. And then he'll tell some parable about the kingdom, and he'll warn people about, about staying away from it, and uh, the realities of hell. And then he says, but I got, I got something. Hang on. Wicked men are going to come. They're going to beat me. They're going to kill me. And three days later, I'm going to rise again. Then he goes through the whole thing where he starts talking about the kingdom. He warns people about hell and the dangers of it. He says, but hang on. Wait a second. And three yeah, people are going to beat me. They're going to kill me. And three days later, I'm gonna, I love that about the book of Matthew. I've literally taken people to places in my Bible and said, let's just look at this. And we just turn a page, and there it is again. Turn the page, and there it is again. Turn the page, and there it is again. And then when it happens, everybody's like, oh, wow, that's what he meant. Yeah, of course. 
And when he comes back, hopefully we're not saying, sitting here going, oh yeah, that's what he meant. But we, we understand, we have the Holy Spirit that helps us and, and lets us know that he has a plan and he's going to fulfill his plan. He, I wrote here, he came back to solidify the gift of salvation by the blood. Let's turn over in our Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Love the book of Hebrews. I think I've mentioned recently that I put this app on my phone. Art Eshelman went and got a cell phone. He doesn't have any apps on it, though. <laughs> so if you've seen his, it got thrown out a window of the car. But I've got this app on my cell phone about memorizing Scripture. And I've been trying to memorize some Bible verses. And I found that, not on purpose, but I'm trying to memorize some Bible verses about the blood and the resurrection and the sacrifice of Christ. And there's in there, there's a, there's a memory verse from like Hebrews 9, Hebrews 10, Hebrews 11. And, and you can just... The book of Hebrews is awesome. It's about how Jesus Christ is superior. You take anything that you else you find in the in the Bible, and Jesus Christ is greater than it. And he's he's better. And you just get that over and over again. Let's read Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 to 17. It says, But Christ came as high priest of good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own redemption. He entered most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats, bulls and goats, and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, He is a mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgression under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of an eternal inheritance for where there is a testament there also must be of necessity be the death of the testator for a testament is in force after men are dead since it has no power at all while the testator lives as i read this verse i see that it was necessary for jesus to die to be the eternal sacrifice for our sins. Told the men in Sunday school class today, we we unlike Abraham, we are not sacrificing animals to our Savior today. Unlike Moses, we don't have a sacrificial system. Nobody went out at twilight and sacrificed a Passover lamb because Jesus, once and for all, fulfilled the law. He, he was the eternal sacrifice for our sins. And he obtained that eternal redemption so we can have a relationship with God Most High. Problem number two, like I said, if you've got a bookmark in Luke chapter 24. Problem number two, I see in verse 21. 
in chapter 24 and verse 21, it says, But we were hoping that this was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. If we know the story of Jesus Christ's resurrection, this is the story of the road to Emmaus. When Jesus Christ is walking with some followers who have no idea that it's Jesus Christ come back from the dead, they haven't gotten it, it hasn't sunk in, um, their mind was clouded, but soon Christ would enlighten them to the fact that it was Him. As they're, go they're going, they said, we were hoping that this was the guy that was going to redeem Israel. I instantly looked at that word hope. And I thought about that word. Because I've said, in the New Testament, hope is an amazing word. It means to trust an expectant end. It's a word like hope that I've often talked about found in the book of Hebrews, especially in chapter 9, where it says, we have this hope and anchor for the soul. And I love that word hope, so I, I wondered as I was looking at this, is this like the word hope? Like my daughter, she's 15, a couple months, she's turning 16. She hopes that she'll pass her road test and get her permit and get on the road. Or maybe um, we, we've got some kids that might might be hoping that that little that uh, uh, they might pass a test or. We hope we might win the lottery. I was wondering if that was the kind of hope that was here. So I, I did a little bit of look, looking up. No, this is biblical New Testament hope. These guys that were walking with Jesus, they absolutely, they're saying, we absolutely 100% believe that Jesus was going to come and be the Redeemer. That he was going to be the person that would set us free. Now, he's dead. And it's three days later. They've got a problem. Because they put their hope in this Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus had a solution to them. He says in verse 26, he says, if you look there in verse 26, it says, Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? You see, it was important that Jesus, it was necessary, it truly was a needed thing, that Jesus Christ died on the cross. As a matter of fact, the scriptures say a lot about how, the Old Testament scriptures say a lot about how Jesus Christ, let's look at Psalm chapter 16. Psalm 16, and from there we're going to look to Acts 2, where Psalm 16 is described. In Psalm 16, long time ago, Charlie Karka chose Psalm 1611 as the key verse for Path of Life Camp. And so I've said, quoted this verse many, many, many times. Every morning at camp we quoted this. But uh, in Psalm 16, verses 8 to 11, it says, I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad. And my glory rejoices. 
my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. As the Holy Spirit put these words and inspired David to write these words down, I wonder if he understood the implications of them. That one day Jesus Christ would give us hope through the resurrection of the dead. It says in verse 10, For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. And then in verse 11, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. There are so many places in the scripture where we see a promise of a resurrection and victory over the grave. And maybe you're saying, I, I don't know if I completely understand how Psalm 16 describes the resurrection. Don't worry. Peter was, Peter was very concerned that you might not. And so he did a great job explaining it in Acts chapter 2. So let's turn over to Acts chapter 2 in your Bible. And put ourselves in the situation of Peter. Peter, shortly after the resurrection, is facing a crowd that is all of a sudden having all these questions and all these things are going on about what could be going on with this Jesus Christ and what he's here, here to do and what he's here to say. And so as we read this passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 23, Peter explained for us what David was talking about. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak to you freely, to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him, that of the fruit of the body, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, 
of which we are witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. The resurrection is amazing. Because of it, we see that Jesus Christ had victory, victory over the grave, and today he is exalted. I've got, a, I said I had three problems, and here's, here's the third problem from Luke 24. I hope you left your bookmark there. Luke chapter 24, and I, I wrote down verses from 12, 37, and 41. And this is, this is the disciples' problem. It said in verse 12, But Peter rose to the tomb, and stooping down in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves. And he departed, marveling to himself what had happened. In verse 37, it says, but they were terrified and frightened. Suppose that they had seen a spirit or a ghost. In verse 40 it says, When he had said this, he showed him his hands and feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marvel, he said to them, Have you any food here? And so as we read this passage of scripture, I look at the, the disciples. And, and here they are. Jesus Christ promised this. He's died on the cross. He's been buried in the ground. They ran. They scattered. They were hiding behind locked doors. And now there's news that Jesus has risen from the grave. And they're like, I don't believe this. I don't understand what's going on. They see the empty tomb. They hear news of what's going on. And they see him. When they see his hands and feet, you see what they says there? It says, I don't believe it. it read there in verse 41. It says, while they still did not believe for joy. I read that about ten times as I was putting together this. They still did not believe. I'm like, Jesus Christ is right there. The hands, the feet. Like, what? where do they go? I, they still don't believe it for, for joy. And so I had to understand what that, that was. I went back, I did a little bit of word study. And it's not that... All of a sudden, they're still like, no, no, I don't want to believe it. It's not like these guys are atheists and they completely rejected this notion. They're just in shock. They're like, oh my goodness. I, I can't believe what I am seeing. And we probably said something like that before. I, 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 you've heard me reference my dad's brother often, my Uncle Doc. And if you hear me talk about Uncle Doc, if it's Christmas today, if it was a day or two before Christmas, me and Michelle would be talking about what we're going to get Uncle Don. It's easy. We either get him a t-shirt, or we get him a pack of gum, or um, we get him a dot-to-dot -dot book, or a watch. You can get him any one of those things. He opens those things, and, and we'll get him a, bag, a pack of Juicy Fruit. He opens it, and he just says, I don't believe it! Gum! I wish we could all be like that for a present, right? Wish we all could be, you know, and we'll walk in the door and he'll say, I don't believe it. Scott's here. And I'm like, I'm here every Christmas, Uncle Donnie. And, 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 but I love that. And as I think about about what the disciples are going through and this, they did not believe for joy. They're just like, I, he's here. He's risen. Hallelujah. He's come back from the dead. 
I don't believe it. Imagine what it would have been like to be one of those guys. And to see your, your Lord raised from the dead. It was necessary that Christ suffered and that he rose from the dead. Zechariah talked about the resurrection of Christ. And it was so, so important that Jesus, it was necessary that he suffered, that he died, and that he rose again. In Zechariah chapter 12, In Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10, it says, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. And they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his holy son and grieve him as one grieves for a firstborn. That phrase there, that they will look on me whom they have pierced. They, we talked this morning, I heard it a number of times, about the Roman centurion who, who pierced our Savior and the blood was spilt. And how in that moment, there is a cry out, truly this was the Son of God. He was raised from the dead. And 2,000 years ago, they looked on Him whom they pierced. And one day, the world will look on Him who they pierced. We could, we could spend a lot of time looking at Job 19, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, the story of Jonah, the story of the Passover, Many other things in the Old Testament foreshadowing the death, the shedding of the blood, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But it was necessary that he died, that he was buried in the ground, and three days later he rose from the dead. Because this world that we live in, even though we have the ability to remember the cross, it's still a sin-filled world. But Jesus Christ died to forgive us of those sins. He rose from the dead, giving us victory. And one day, He's coming again. And it was necessary that all of this happen. Because we get to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7. It says, Behold, He is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I don't need new shoes. I don't need a brownie. I don't need my cell phone or a souvenir. But I need the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As we stop and we consider that these things are necessary, that this was 
necessary that Jesus Christ went through all this stuff so that the world could have the ability to find salvation through Jesus Christ. So that ultimately, this world could find victory over sin and death and hell. We can today find victory from the penalty of sin. And as we live our Christian lives, we can learn what it means to have victory over the power of sin. And ultimately, one day, we will find that we, have, we can have true victory from the very presence of sin because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I found in these passages of Scripture, and I wrote them all down, and if you need notes, I'll give these notes to you. But I found some, some common responses to all these passages of Scripture. I saw that one of those things was repentance. To surrender to a sovereign God, we must have sorrow and regret for sins with intentions of a complete change of direction towards God. If you want to get that in a nice, easy way to remember, to stop the sin that you are doing, turn around and run to Christ. Look in those places, whether it be Luke 24, Acts chapter 2, Revelation, Hebrews, many of the places that we look today, repentance was a common theme. The remission of sins, the act of delivering from the punishment, power, and presence of sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ's blood paid for what we deserve because of sin. I'm so thankful for the, for the resurrection for the remission of sins. Also, those of you who know this story and, and love it, and you'd be here seven days a week to talk about what the cross has done in your life, we must be a witness. It is a witness of what Jesus Christ is doing. And also, it gives us the power of the coming Holy Spirit. Many, many, many amazing things that we get from Jesus Christ dying on the cross and rising again. I love the story of the resurrection. I love what it means to us. I love how, how the Bible just opens and, and comes alive because of what Jesus Christ did. It is the focal point of all of humanity. But if you're here today and you don't know the power of the resurrection, you don't know what the blood of Jesus Christ can do for you, I encourage you. To find repentance and remission of sins. A Holy Spirit that could come in your life and that, that you can be a witness of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Don't leave this place today without knowing for sure that the power of the resurrection is true for your life. Let's pray this morning. Lord and Heavenly Father, I thank you for the blood that you, you shed. I thank you that you promised that if you died, if wicked men took and hung you on a cross, that three days later you would rise again. Lord, I needed the blood of Jesus Christ. I needed your literal resurrection from the dead. And Lord, I thank you that one day I will be one of the countless people who will look on him 
who we have pierced. We will see those, the scars of the nails in your hand. and We will rejoice for the great salvation that you purchased. You are a great God and we thank you and we praise you for your death on the cross. And we thank you that you are soon coming again. In your son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.